Hello, church family. Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Legrand Sunday morning service. Hello, everybody. Um, wish I were seeing you face to face. It would be so nice to see all of you again. I, I miss everything about fellowship. I, I miss you guys personally. I even miss when I turn the page while we're studying, not hearing those hundreds of pages uh, turning across the sanctuary or the hanging out that we get to do afterward, visiting and so on. Uh, really be happy when we have an opportunity to get back together again and, and do this the good old-fashioned way. Uh, in the meantime, I uh, just want to remind you again that uh, we have several folks that are, are really uh, anxious to, to serve and help out as the weeks go by. If, if you need somebody to help out with grocery shopping or errands or uh, yard work or anything like that around home, uh, please be sure to let us know so we can uh, point the right folks to you and and uh, get them serving and and uh, the body helped however it needs to be helped. But in the meantime, just tell you guys again how much really love you, appreciate you, uh, and so blessed by the family that we have here. Uh, that's really the only announcement, just that we want to make sure everybody understands that uh, if you'll leave us a message or give a call on Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, we'd be more than happy to uh, meet whatever needs there are. With that, let's pray. Father, just thank you again so much, Lord, that we have this opportunity, Jesus, to get into your love letters and to be taught by you, Holy Spirit. Uh, but before that, we just ask, God, that you would pour out your Spirit. We know that you're perfectly omniscient, uh, able to be in every living room and family room, uh, wherever we're being uh, bound together, not just by technology, but more importantly, Lord, by your Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we give you this time to just uh, worship through us and uh, teach us your word, Lord. And thank you so much. Thank you so very much for the body, God. In Jesus' name, amen. In the presence of my enemies, I raise a hallelujah louder than the
step of mystery I'm walking with the author So I'll fix my eyes upon you I'll fix my eyes upon you So downcast, oh my soul, you are in every moment, you are my greatest miracle. Why should my heart grow weary, and don't be so downcast, oh my soul, you are in every moment, and you are my greatest miracle. And why should my heart grow weary, and don't be so downcast, oh my soul, you are in every
Father, just uh, thank you, God, so much for the worship guys, their faithfulness, Lord, to serve. Uh, they're really putting their whole hearts into it. We just thank you, God, that you've given those, given them those hearts to serve the body. And we thank you, God, for the opportunity to worship you. Ask, Lord, now that you would be our teacher, that, God, wherever we're at, whatever we're doing, uh, we would hear directly from you, from your word and your spirit, God. And so we give this time to you and thank you so much for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, please. We will most likely finish up Philippians today. He begins chapter 4 with those famous words that Paul utters a lot. Therefore, I guess it's a word, therefore. Uh, and every time that we see that as students of the Word of God, we want to ask ourselves, what is it therefore? And so it requires us to go back a little ways and see what the context is before we dive into his, his next thought. And so I would ask you guys, if you would, please, to go back to uh, chapter 3, verse 8. He says, Yet indeed I also, I, I also count all things lost for the excellence uh, of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered, suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. And he's going to talk to us again today about the resurrection. But the most important part of this letter is this discussion about knowing Jesus and Paul's passion for knowing him. And I think most all of us know that there's a big difference between knowing about somebody and actually knowing them. And Paul uh, talks to us about the, the personal relationship that, that we, he wants them, he wants us to have with Jesus. To know Jesus is not the same as knowing his historical life. It is not the same as knowing correct doctrines regarding Jesus. It is not the same as knowing his moral example, and it is not the same as knowing his great work on our behalf. We can say that we know someone because we recognize him, uh, because we can distinguish what is different about him compared to other people. We can say that we know someone because we're acquainted with what he does. We know the baker because we get our bread from him. We can say that we know someone because we actually converse with them. We are on speaking terms with that person. We can say that we know someone because we spend time in his house and with his family. We can say that we know someone because we've committed our life to him and live with him every day, sharing every circumstance as in a marriage. Yet beyond all this, there's a way of knowing Jesus Christ that includes all of these things, yet goes well beyond them. Uh, Spurgeon put it this way. He said, They tell me he is a refiner, that he cleanses from spots. He has washed me in his precious blood, and that, to that extent I know him. They tell me that he clothes the naked. He hath covered me with a garment of righteousness, and to the extent I know him. They tell me that he is a breaker and that he breaks fetters. 
He has set my soul at liberty, and therefore I know him. They tell me that he is a king and that he reigns over sin. He that subdued my enemies between his, beneath his feet, and I know him in that character. They tell me he's a shepherd. I know him, for I am his sheep. They say he is a door. I've entered in through him, and I know him as a door. They say he is my food. My spirit feeds on him as on the bread of heaven, and therefore I know him as such. So to know Jesus, to have a personal relationship with him, as is described here, is Paul's final point, the thing that matters uh, the most to him and should matter the most to us. Uh, our, our religion, what we call ourselves, uh, how we identify, none of that is as important as do I know Jesus Christ, know him personally, and have a daily relationship with him. Uh, if you could skip down now to chapter, uh, verse 17, please, or excuse me, verse 20 of chapter 3. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So, not only do we know him, but his last thought before he says, therefore, is that we have this, this relationship with Jesus that gets us into heaven. Our relationship with him is our passport to heaven. It's our, our future that ultimately lands us in eternity with him. And guys, I want to just discuss one more time uh, the thing that James says about this life being a vapor. Uh, the older you get, the faster life goes by. Uh, I'm 63 years old, and the weeks go by now so quickly. A week feels like a day used to. And the longer you live, the, the shorter part of your life, the shorter percentage of your life uh, is, is a day. And with everyone that passes, time gets shorter and shorter. And so there isn't a lot of time now to, to waste uh, as, as we each grow older, we want to have this relationship with Jesus. We want to know him so that we end up with our citizenship in heaven. He's the passport. The relationship with him is the passport to having our citizenship in heaven. And we live in the earth, but we don't belong here. Our real home, our real comfort, our real resting place is in heaven with Jesus and this vapor of a life is going to be gone so quickly. And what we do here determines all of eternity in heaven with Jesus, in a paradise that we simply can't describe or understand even just yet. So when he says, starts out chapter 4 by saying, therefore, he's talking about knowing Jesus and that our citizenship because of that is in heaven. Therefore, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, beloved. The second thing he does is he tells them that they are his beloved and his longed for brethren. And I, I can relate, as many of you can relate. Uh, we love each other. We're longing for the fellowship with each other. 
the few opportunities I've had with folks that have stopped by the church here and we've got to visit, those visits turn into hours-long visits, and it's so enjoyable. And uh, as they say, you know, you kind of take things for granted until you don't have it anymore. And uh, boy, if I ever took you guys for granted, I am so sorry. Uh, I miss you a lot, and you are longed for. And I know that most of you feel that way as well. Can't wait for us to all get back together. He says that there is joy in his crown, and he wants them to stand fast in the Lord, again calling them beloved. Verse 2, I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. So we don't know exactly who these women are or who the true companion is. Some have speculated the true companion may be the Philippian jailer who was first saved uh, on that second missionary journey, and that these ladies may be a part of that group of ladies that were with Lydia down worshiping by the river when Paul first showed up at Philippi and began the church there. At any rate, whoever they are, these two ladies, for some reason, are having uh, some contention. There's an argument going on, and they can't seem to get it resolved. Paul's heard back about it, whether they wrote to him about it or somebody told him about it. Uh, he's realizing that, that these women have uh, a problem, that they're arguing with one another. And it, he's saddened by this because they were those who labored with him in the gospel. He knows they love the Lord, and he knows that they've borne fruit for Jesus. But as sometimes happens with us sinners, there, there's now some contention, and they're, they're arguing with one another, uh, not getting along very well. And so he's asking them to be of the same mind. I read it to you again. Verse 2, I implore Iodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And this letter, as most of you guys know, this whole letter has been about the mind. Uh, he's mentioned the mind or being like-minded 10 times in these four, short four chapters. And the thing that he keeps asking them to do, I want to just read those verses back to you because it's almost as if he's been writing to these ladies specifically all along. Now, no doubt the letter is to all of them and all of us as God intended. But at the same time, he's now bringing this thing about being like-minded or the same mind in the Lord that he's been talking about throughout the course of the letter. Uh, he said in Philippians 1.27, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. He said in chapter 2, verse 2, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Chapter 2, verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Chapter 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 15, therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will re reveal this even to you. Chapter 3, verse 16, 
Nevertheless, to the degree that we've already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Chapter 3, verse 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things, being, being people who have focused their minds, even though they claim to be Christians or Christian teachers, their minds are on earthly things. And even though they sound like they're being nice, doing something for the right reasons, they're always focused on their belly. What's in it for me? What's going to uh, come of this? Uh, most of you guys know my dog, Shaker. And you know that Shaker's friendly with everybody. And the kids think that he loves them so much because when they come to the church, Shaker runs up and licks their faces and everything like that for them. Uh, they don't realize that what he's really doing is getting a snack. That oftentimes young kids in the morning still have some breakfast on their face. And so Shaker is helping himself to a snack. Now, he seems like he's doing a nice thing, giving the kids kisses, when in reality, he's thinking of his belly and his belly only and getting that snack from them. So we can be right-minded with Christ, the mind of Christ, or we can be like these other guys that Paul has pointed out, like Shaker, my dog. Chapter 4, verse 2, I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche, where we're at now, to be of the same mind in the Lord. So this whole letter has been a reminder of being like-minded with Jesus, uh, being about what Jesus is about. In fact, just to emphasize that, if you'd go back to chapter 2, verse 1, please. He says, Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. So this whole thing is about being like-minded with Jesus. And he's asking these ladies, would they please have this same mind if we could all be in agreement about being like-minded? Before we continue on with that, let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord 
that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you're still not able. For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So Paul is reminding us in both letters that if we're truly born again and we're truly in this relationship with Jesus, and what's most important in our, in our minds is our citizenship in heaven, it's eternity, it's pleasing God, it's being like Jesus, who in his mind, he had the mind of Christ, he gave himself up even to the death on the cross for us. And so Paul is asking these two ladies to become like-minded again with Jesus, with the rest of the body of Christ. And as long as there's these divisions and these contentions, then they're being carnal. And to me, nothing is more heartbreaking within the family of God, the body of Christ, than when we have a couple of people who have become contentious with one another. And rather than considering other esteeming others higher than themselves, like Jesus did going to the cross, uh, we're busy figuring out ways that we're more right or, or have more rights than the other person that I'm in the argument with. And Paul is direct, uh, directly addressing them now and telling them, hey, I want you guys to become of one mind again, just like all of the studying that we've been doing all the way through here, that if you really have the mind of Christ, you won't be going at one another in this way. We're known by our love one for another, and there really isn't a lot of room. We have all the tools that we need within the body of Christ to avoid earthly, carnal type of behavior within the body of Christ. We have these incredible 66 love letters from God. We have prayer, direct access to the throne room of God. We have the brothers and sisters in Christ who are like-minded and who will help us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus daily. And I just love living this way. It is so much easier on the head and on the heart to love than it is to hate. And so for the body of Christ, this shouldn't be a part of what we do. But when it does happen, we need to go to the Lord, we need to get the same mind and put the other person's needs and wants higher than my own. It just takes one person to humble themselves and say, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know how many times I've gone to brothers over the years and said, you know, I, I don't really care who's right anymore. I just love you. I just want this to stop. Please forgive me. Let's drop it and move on. And we can find the power to do that in Jesus. And that's what he's uh, encouraging these ladies uh, to do. Back to uh, Philippians chapter 4. He ended by telling these ladies and the folks with them, uh, the, my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And, you know, we hear this term about the book of life um, and I don't think oftentimes we realize how much it's mentioned in the Bible, and particularly in the book of Revelation. It's mentioned repeatedly. 
And it was it said that it that our names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. The God in his foreknowledge has always known who would say yes to Jesus, who would be born again of the Spirit, as we discussed last week, and come to the Lord. So this book of life, my name has been written in it since before the foundation of the world, because God knew that when I was 23 years old, I would surrender my life to Jesus and ask him to forgive my sin and come into my life and supernaturally live his life through me from the inside out. And so maybe I, I, I should say that this is our passport to heaven, that to know Jesus is to be a citizen of heaven, even though we're momentarily here, that time's going to go by very quickly. And ultimately, we're going to go to heaven where our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And that is written repeatedly uh, throughout the Bible. Uh, again, mainly Old Testament and New, uh, but mainly in the book of Revelation on several occasions. Verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. This is a guy who is under arrest, who is chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day, and yet he's telling them that they should rejoice. I counted before we got together here today, and in this little short letter of four chapters, Paul says that there should be joy in our lives four times in four chapters. Peace, he discusses three times. as peace that surpasses understanding that we get from God supernaturally. And this word rejoice, where he encourages us to rejoice in the Lord, to rejoice always, he mentions ten times. And so this is unlike any letter I've ever gotten from prison. I've, I've gotten a handful of letters over the years from fellows that uh, were in jail or in federal prisons even. And mostly they talk about themselves. They don't talk like this. Paul is very unconcerned about himself, his own situation, but he's really rejoicing and he's really happy that it's turned out for the good. He's got to share the gospel with those of Caesar's household, as we'll see again today. Uh, he, he's emboldened the other believers in Rome so that they're witnessing. Uh, he's, he's just really excited for the good that it is it's creating in the kingdom of God and for the good that it's creating in the people's lives around him. And that's why he's able to say that they should rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. He's coming. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. A lot of folks like this, these verses about the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, uh, guarding our hearts and minds, there that is again, through Christ Jesus. But we need to, to point out that to not be anxious and to have that peace of God comes through what he mentions in verse 6. Everything in by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, that in this relationship with Jesus, by presenting my life to Jesus every day, 
I find supernatural peace. I find a rest in, in Jesus that I can't find anywhere else. And folks who have this relationship with the Lord, they know Jesus, their citizenship is in heaven and not here. Those people are the ones that in that relationship find supernatural peace uh, in, in that relationship, that talking with the Lord. It's a pretty incredible truth if you think about it, that I can actually step into the throne room of the universe and talk to the creator of the universe about my life anytime I choose. And what you learn after a while is that that's the only way to live, is to have this relationship with him where every day, rather than getting on the phone and talking to a friend or a family member, whatever, about my, my life, my issues, the things I'm excited about, to tell those things to God first makes a, an absolute complete difference in my life so that I am anxious for nothing, so that I have this peace that surpasses understanding. Verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. And so this kind of lets out most of what we get entertained by today. TV is pretty much off the list. If you, you seriously want to focus on these things and have a, a, a healthy diet, of, of the things that you look into and put in your life. And I see this over and over again in my own life. Uh, when, when I open myself up to uh, the entertainment world or whatever it is, the peace and the joy in my life will ebb. And I've learned in my old age that it's just far better to stay away from those things and focus completely and fully on Jesus. Uh, a real example of this was a, a lot of years ago, over 30, maybe 35 years ago, uh, a family was having a, a real problem with their, their teenage kids. And I, there were, I think, four or five kids all together. And they asked me to come to their house and sit down and discuss the problem with them. And so I went to their house, they invited me in, had me sit down in their family room, and I, they went to make coffee or something. And the Lord just focused me on this giant television set. And in those days, they weren't flat. They were a big thing like this desk. And stacked on top of that television were literally 40 or 50 videotapes. And they were facing out so that you could see what the titles were in case you wanted whatever you to choose what you wanted to watch, I suppose. And I noticed that every one of these videos was pretty much an R-rated kung fu slash sexual weirdness type of thing that was very popular back in those days. And uh, the Lord just really focused me on that, that, you know, garbage in, garbage out sort of thing. And so when they came in and sat down and they wanted to discuss the kids, they were telling me that the kids were sexually acting out, uh, that the kids were... Uh, violent toward one another. There were slug fests were going on, and 
and all of this. So it had just gotten completely out of control. And so I asked them about all of these movies, and they said, yeah, that's what they did for quality time. And that was their words. And as amazing as it sounds, in their minds to sit and watch hours on end of, of R-rated, uh, sexually and violence-charged video was what they called quality time. And so what they're feeding on is exactly what was coming out. And you discover that in life, that what I feed on, if I feed on the things that are pure, that are lovely, are of good report, then those are the things that are going to come out of me. If I think I'm going to feed on things that are from the enemy, from the dark side, rather than from, the, from Jesus, uh, I, I can't really expect that there's going to be a lot of peace uh, in my home. And I shared that with them. I tried to be as gracious as I could. It really offended them. Uh, they basically ran me off. But at least they were told. And it was just a, a great example of how we really choose. We have a choice to make on a daily basis what quality of life we're going to have and what is going to come out of us. Is it the, the, the peace and the joy of the Lord? Can we, with Paul, rejoice in every circumstance, we don't rejoice about the circumstances. They, life can be very difficult. But we rejoice in the circumstances because God is there with us, because we have this relationship with him. And we know, we learn over the years that he's faithful. And even the really difficult things we go through, he uses for good. That's that promise in Romans eight twenty eight, that he's going to use it for good in our lives. And he always does. I walked with the Lord for some years now, and I'm convinced. I'm convinced beyond anything else in my life that whatever God allows in my life is for my good. And some of those things are truly difficult, but he knows what he's doing. He's a good father. He's a great father. And he knows exactly what he's doing in each one of our lives. But we do need to make some choices of our own if we want to possess in our relationship with him the, the peace and the joy that Paul's encouraging us in throughout this letter. Verse 10, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. And what we're going to see here in a minute is that he's talking about financial support, that these guys have loved Paul from the moment he showed up in their, their city uh, on the second missionary journey. And they've always supported him. They, there's been several occasions where he sent money, they've sent money and supported him, helped him out as he went around preaching the gospel and establishing churches. And he's saying, you guys, you guys have done it again. And when, when Epaphroditus showed up with this letter, he apparently also had uh, a money bag from the folks at Philippi. And he's saying, you guys, you did it again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. And apparently Epaphroditus had been traveling around trying to find Paul. But if we look at what happened to him in the book of Acts, he's all over the place. And previous to this, he's been on a, a Roman prison ship and in a shipwreck in, off, off of Malta. And all kinds of things have happened to him. So he's a, a tough character to catch up to. And of course, they didn't have all the the means of communication that we enjoy today. 
And so he's saying, you guys just lacked opportunity. Epaphroditus has been looking for him and he had the money for him, but he just couldn't catch up to him. Now, finally, Paul's in, in Rome in prison and he's finally uh, found him. Verse 11, nor that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Isn't that an awesome thing? That he's saying, he's going to tell them, I, I really appreciate it. But you know, I've learned to be content in, in whatever condition I'm in. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so Paul is saying that he has peace and he has trust in Jesus in all things. He can accomplish what needs to be accomplished because the Lord is faithful and he's able to be content in that. And so he's happy they sent the money, but he's also letting them know that his whether or not he loves the Lord, serves the Lord, serves other people, whether or not he's able to accomplish things in the Spirit uh, is not dependent on his financial situation. And how I love this freedom that he has. We're seeing right now in the midst of this uh, COVID problem that a lot of people who have been living paycheck to paycheck uh, and have found themselves really out of peace and out of joy because so much depended on that paycheck. And I have really seen over the years in believers' lives that they get almost giddy and excited at when they get their tax return for a season, for a while. And then they'll slip back into a, a kind of a, a sadness almost. And then there's that bounce in the step again when a chunk of money shows up. It hadn't ought to be this way, guys. We had not to be dependent on mammon for our peace or for our joy. But in this relationship with Jesus, our citizenship in heaven, we should be able to be content in all things through Christ who strengthens me. Verse 14, Nevertheless, you've done well that you shared in my distress. So he is thankful for it. And this is really the only time I can find where Paul uses a negative word about his situation, that he calls it his, my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. So he's going back to that second missionary journey where after he established these churches and he, he left Europe, uh, headed back over to Asia Minor again, that the only people that supported him financially were these folks here in Philippi. He says, but you only, for even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my needs, for my necessities. So he's pointing out that they've sent him money at least a couple of times before that they're talking about. Most commentators feel they can account for about a half a dozen occasions that these folks supported Paul. And he, again, is, is really grateful for it, but it, he doesn't depend on this for his peace. Not that I seek the gift, verse 17, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, 
well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So again, Epaphroditus brought the money and he's saying that he's excited for them because he knows that it abounds to, abounds to their account. And guys, this whole idea of Christian giving, uh, most of you are familiar with it. There's, there's the tithe, the 10%. There's the offering that God leads you to give above and beyond the, the tithe, which God claims is his. It's his money, not ours. And then there are alms that are specifically for the poor and the needy. And so he's saying God is paying attention to these things. And, and this is being accredited or abounds to your account. And the longer that I've had this job, done this job, the more I realize what he's talking about. I love to see Christians do well. I love to see Christians who are plugged into a church. They're, they're serving. Uh, they're having this relationship with Jesus on a daily basis where they have a devotional life. Uh, they're enjoying the Lord daily. They're enjoying the Word and prayer daily and letting God set the tone for their lives. Uh, I, I love to see them witnessing. All the things that we do, we know that this book of life in, in, in uh, Revelation chapter 20, there are other books where things are being written down about what we do and don't do. And so there is a very real account. And Paul is excited, not that he needed the money or had to have the money, but he's most excited that he knows God is paying attention and that this, this was abounding to their account. And that's, to me, anymore, it, it's just like uh, watching a believer again who's plugged in at church and serving and, and having that relationship with Jesus daily and all of those kinds of things. This is just another aspect of obedience that doesn't save us. It does, has nothing to do with our salvation, but it is a part of obedience. It is a part of doing well with the Lord. And when we stand at the Bema seat of Christ and receive our rewards, we're going to be so glad that we obeyed the Word of God and did the things that, that God wants us to do, has seen us do. And so, as a pastor, I, I just get excited about seeing Christians do well. And scripturally, this is just another part of doing well, is giving God that, that 10% and then whatever he leads you to give uh, beyond that. And he makes this promise in verse 19. It's kind of another promise, as, along with a few of the others in this letter. Uh, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Uh, that kind of is, is, is set in the, the, the part of this thing where, where you know, you, 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 you've given and that that blessing from God, God, this is the only area where God says to test me. And it's um, in that that he's saying, yeah, God's going to meet all your riches and glory. I, I can't tell you how many times God has blessed my family and blessed all the believers that I know who are, are faithful in their giving, and they get to step back and watch God provide for their lives supernaturally. It's actually a lot of fun. 
and a good thing to do. Verse 21, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. Uh, look back at Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, please. He says, we greet you, and especially those who are of Caesar's household. It would seem that Paul is really excited about getting to witness to uh, the people in Caesar's household, the soldiers that were guarding him from Caesar's troops and so on. And if you look back in ver chapter 1, verse 12, he says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So this is a little bit more of that where, you know, especially Caesar's household, these guys are getting saved. They're giving their hearts to Jesus. I'm here in jail for a reason. God has a purpose. And he's accomplishing really great things. And he's really excited about touching Caesar's household as well. Verse 23, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And I, that's a great place for us to, to end today together. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Um, really excited for us to get back together again. Uh, but in the meantime, God's good. And it, by all appearances, most everybody we're communicating with is really hanging in there, really doing well with the Lord, despite the circumstances we follow, find ourselves in. And I just encourage you guys to keep going, cling to Jesus, and soon he will take us through this as well. God bless you guys. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hands have made i see the stars i hear the rolling thunder thy power throughout the universe displayed then sings my Great thou art, then sing.
When Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim. 